Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Wednesday, October the 11th. Done some interesting shows today, one on the current situation in Israel, Gaza, tragic situation. One on the climate crisis, how to fix that, big issue, perhaps the biggest one facing us. One with a doctor who, heart surgeon who saved Bill Clinton's life, all highfalutin stuff. But there are things which are much more down to earth, which in some ways perhaps a little bit more important for most Americans. Take, for example, food stamps. I have to admit I don't know much about it. I'm fortunate that I don't know much about it, but it affects millions of Americans on a daily basis, children, old people, people who work, people who don't. The latest news is that SNAP benefits, uh, SNAP, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program benefits, have increased, uh, created a great deal of controversy. Some of the more conservative right-wing reactionary press suggests that it will create $11 billion in stamp overpayments, according to the state. Fox News, of course, blames it all on Biden, as they do with everything else. Uh, one man, and most of us are kind of fortunately confused about uh, food stamps because we don't rely on it. One man who is one of America's leading experts, if not the expert on food stamps, is my guest today. Uh, Christopher Bosso is a longtime professor at Northeastern Universities at the School of Public Policy and Urban Affairs written all sorts of interesting things about it. He's very much in favor of it. He wrote a, an, an, uh, an appropriate piece on why Republicans hate it when poor people have food to eat. Uh, and he has a new book out uh, this month, Why Snap Works, A Political History and Defense of the Food Stamp Program. And he's joining us from Boston. Chris, tell us the history of Snap. When did it begin? Well, thanks for having me, Andrew. The, the, the program's origins, you know, like so much of American social welfare policy, go back to the Depression. Um, that the origins of what we now call SNAP, the food stamp program, which is now called SNAP, um, starts in the late 1930s when the federal government, Roosevelt administration, was confronted with the problem not of both of feeding hungry people, but the primary problem they are trying to address is how to get rid of farm surpluses. Um, American farmers famously very productive. Uh, and if you let farmers produce as much as they want the, and you don't have sufficient demand, the inevitable result is a surplus that you know, then drives down, um, you know, because when you have a surplus, it drives down the prices that farmers can get for their crops, which you know, at a certain point becomes problematic for farmers because they can't make enough to survive. And they go out of business. In fact, you know, the, you know, a lot of the famous Okies that went to California from the Midwest, you know, were driven out by you know plummeting crop prices. You know, and so, and ironically, you know, so you had this dilemma in the 1930s, and they, some called it the paradox of want amidst you know, plenty. That you had, on one hand, you had people who were needed food because they were unemployed, they had no money, um, they're staying in bread lines, literally. On the other hand, you had surplus food lying around and literally lying around. And the national government 
the initial response to surplus was to try to you know reduce surpluses and thus keep you know commodity prices stable for farmers was to destroy it. I mean, literally slaughter pigs and turn the meat into uh, fertilizer or you know, other inedible things. Keep it off the market. Burn corn. You know, turn you know, take milk and pour it down the drain, literally. But you can imagine that destroying food while there were hungry people, so visibly hungry people, created a huge controversy. Right, and in the 30s, the the level of of hunger was astonishing. Astonishing by our standards today. We had 25% unemployment. You can just imagine the level of need. And so you can imagine how controversial this was of destroying you know, destroying food. So that was seen as immoral. All right, so here's your dilemma if you're the national government. You're trying to keep commodity prices stable by, you know, getting rid of the surplus. You don't want to destroy the food because that's immoral. Um, all right, give the food to poor people. That was the idea. Give the food to the needy people. Classic, you know, what we would consider today the food bank, food pantry model. You give the food, the national government buys the food from the farmer, and it was good for the farmers because the farmers themselves were also hungry. I assume. Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, if you're a farmer, you can grow your own. So it was less of that. But certainly, there was there was rural poverty. Maybe not so much for farmers, but definitely for rural poor. There were a lot of people, sharecroppers, tenant farmers. You know, especially in the South, blacks, black tenant farmers and sharecroppers, people, or or you know, in in, in Texas, if you're fruit pickers, people who didn't own the land but you know, you know, dependent on agriculture. For their livelihood were hurting also because they couldn't sell the food. So, okay, let's give the food, let's give the food away to the needy people. Well, it turns out that was harder to do. You had to get all this bulk food, ship it to state governments or ship it to local relief agencies. Then they had to have ways of storing it, uh, repackaging it, you know, giving, you know, and, 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 and that was problematic also because if you were in the bread line, you didn't know what you're going to get. You, you might have gotten a box of literally 30 pounds of oranges and maybe a cabbage because that was surplus that month. And you didn't know what you're going to get. Um, and you may not have liked what you got. I mean, there was that issue too. People, ironically, people, sometimes you would get free food. And people didn't like it. I mean, you know, because it wasn't familiar. Um, all right. And also local retail, and this is the important point, local retailers hated the idea of the federal government giving away food. Why? Well, because if you're giving free food to people, they're not buying it in your stores because the retailers mm. were hurting because retailers were, you know, their businesses were hurting because people didn't have money to buy food. Ah, so, and, and a lot, there was a lot of real sort of, you know, scratching of heads in the national government in the U.S. Department of Agriculture and other places in the federal government. And they finally, in discussions with the retail food industry people, came up, came up with an idea for food vouchers, okay? And the food stamps really at the end of the day are vouchers. I mean, and so they came up with this idea of a voucher system that would be treated like currency that you could use in stores. So you would go, you know, so what would happen is uh, that if you were eligible, say for relief in say a local or state relief uh, program, um, you know, uh, you would be eligible to buy stamps. So you would be, you would buy orange stamps and they literally had these, you know, these these orange and blue stamps, and you would buy orange stamps one dollar that you would pay for one dollars worth of orange stamps, and for every one dollars worth of orange stamps you bought, you got fifty cents in bonus blue stamps. Okay, so you would take these stamps to your local grocery store, and for the, and you could use the orange stamps for anything, any food, 
that was the point. Any food, well, except you couldn't use it for coffee, tea, and imported foods. It was, you know, that was the exception. So you can use the orange stamps for any food. The blue stamps you would, food, you would use for food that was declared in surplus by the national government, by the USDA, that particular month. So for example, and this is true, if, if one month you would go into store and prunes would be declared in surplus. Hard to imagine that prunes would be in surplus, but there you go. And you could buy with your blue stamps, your free blue stamps, you could buy a box of prunes. Say the box of prunes was 25 cents. You could use 25 cents of your bonus stamps for that box of prunes. So and this, yeah, it makes sense, Chris. So yours is a, uh, your new book, Why Snap Works, is um, uh, a political history. That's correct. Um, what were the politics of all this? Uh, well, you, well, the politics in, in the 1930s, I assume uh, FDR and particularly Eleanor Roosevelt, they must have really championed this. Well, Eleanor did, but it turned out it was widely popular, and and it was and it was popular, and they didn't they didn't need to do a lot to champion it. It turns out because it turned out to be very popular. Uh, even the department, even the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, which hated Roosevelt and hated the New Deal supported food stamps even the well. republicans i mean you wrote this piece about why republicans well, that, no, that was, people have food to eat that's the contemporary republicans in yes. the 30s were most of fdr's uh great enemies were they opposed to yes yeah. well no they weren't and, and by the way i shouldn't comment that that actual headline that was a timothy noah piece in the new republic who quotes me so i didn't actually write that piece but that was a different but yeah the um the republicans in the, in the 30s supported food stamps so long as the focus was on using up the surplus that's the whole point they didn't want it to be seen primarily as a relief program so as long as the focus was on using stamps to eat up the surplus literally and mm. use and using and using the normal channels of trade retail food stores to you to do this people supported it and that was the point it was it was a almost brilliant uh, sort of workaround almost like it remember we did a show on tokens and this tokenized economics of the crypto age mm -hmm. in an odd way there's a there's there's a, a a network effect element here yeah in a sense because it, it enabled you know it basically everybody benefited food stores benefited because it, it increased the business in their stores farmers benefited because well the surpluses got you know eaten up a bit although frankly it turns out that it didn't have as direct impact on the surplus as people thought but but it raised consumption and that was good for the for the farm farmers. It helped everybody benefited. Social workers liked it because you didn't have their clients standing in line for the box of food. So it was more socially acceptable to be going to the store and using a form of currency, even if there wasn't you know standard currency. It was currency. Farm and and, and the retailers loved it, and everybody liked it for the most part. Um, you know there were crib, there were quibbles about. You know, how much you got. Well, there are always and, quibbles, Chris. There's always quibbles, but it was remarkably popular. In fact, everybody, it was it was more demand for the program than the budget allowed. Because it was, it was, you know, it, it turned, you know, and so it went, went from 1939 to 1943 when the war, demands from the war pretty much dried up all the surpluses except for a couple areas. Um, and so food stamps were phased out during the war because it was no longer seen as needed. Fast. Okay. So fast. So, uh, hold on. So we're going to take a short break, sure. Chris. Now, um, we are speaking with Chris Basso, the author of Why Snap Works: A Political History in Defense of the Food Stamp Program. 
Chris, I'm guessing that uh, by the 60s or the 70s, that the mood had turned against food stamps, that the neat, what people now call the neoliberal revolution of Reagan, was, was food stamps one of their uh, symbolic attacks on this big state, what they might thought of as socialism of the 40s and 50s? Well, I mean, by the 80s, certainly. Um, ironically, there was a pretty strong bipartisan support for food stamps, which, you know, they went, they went away for about 20 years and then were revived in the late 50s and brought back by Kennedy in pilot, in pilot projects. And then the current food stamp SNAP program is you know, under the 1964 Food Stamp Act. So it's about 60 years old now. But for the first, you know, 15 years or so, there was a, a relatively strong bipartisan support for them. Um, you know, Bob Dole famously, Bob Dole and George McGovern, sort of this famous uh, bipartisan support for food stamps and for other nutrition programs. So, but- Does that reflect the ideological consensus of the 50s and even the 60s? I'm guessing even old Richard Nixon. Oh yeah, no, Nixon, Nixon expanded food stamps. And in fact, in many respects, it was that post-war consensus that you saw. And Reagan and, you know, but the late 70s, you start seeing this more neoliberal uh, sort of uh, you know, reaction. And of course, with Reagan, Reagan goes after food stamps, the budget, food stamp budget, because of course, by that time, food stamps had become a very large program, not as large as it is now, but large. Um, and yeah, and for many reasons that it's still there, there was just Chris, people. Right, Chris, you've mentioned black farmers in, in Texas in the 30s. Was there a a perception of race and did would, would was there dog whistle politics maybe Nixonian or reaganite associated with this suggesting that it was only black americans who were reliant on well the, certainly the by the 1980s you saw that it was you know saw you saw a bit of that welfare queen is you know dimension of attacks on food stamps ironically not it was it was not attacked as as much um on that dimension, although it was that as as welfare was, you know, because it was about food, and that's an important point here. Is that so? It's not welfare. It's what, what's the difference? Well, welfare is straight cash. Yeah, and that's the difference. Food, you know, food stamps, SNAP, are still not straight cash. They're, they're a form of cash that you can use in the store to buy food, but you can only use it to buy food. So it's not it's not truly could fungible. You trade, could could you trade SNAP if if someone wanted to buy the stamps off you? Well, today it's all EBT cards and it's electronic benefits transfer cards like a debit card. And yes, there is a little bit of you know, let's say that you're somebody who needs to buy diapers and you can't use your SNAP benefits to buy diapers because it's only for food. There are anecdotes, there are stories about people trading their SNAP cards for cash at a discount so they can actually use the cash to buy things they can't use their SNAP benefits for. It's more, you know, the evidence is that the SNAP fraud rate is relatively small. You know, that, that figure you cited, by the way, the $11 billion is not fraud, that's error. And that's state governments making errors in calculating um, benefit rates. That's not people cheating. That's states that make mistakes. Is that hysteria or is it true? Oh, no, it's true. I mean, the, the states, what happened during the COVID, prior to COVID, the well, states, I, I don't want, yeah, so. a lot of states really ramped up, uh, you know, benefits really grew during COVID. States really rushed to enroll people and they made mistakes. 
Um, you know, and so there, there was the fraud rate, the, not the fraud rate, the error rate jumps during COVID. It's coming back down again. Um, but certainly during COVID, when just money got pumped into the system, um, the error rate went up. Now, again, I'm making the point that error rate by state governments is different than fraud by actual I want to I want to take a short break in a sure. second, Chris, and then we'll talk about the contemporary situation. But um, historically, how many Americans were on food stamps? They compared in percentage terms, they compared to the 30s, the 40s, 50s and 60s. Was it 20 percent? Well, no, no, no. It's never been more than maybe 10 percent. You know, it's 10 to 12. Even in the 30s? Well, the 30s, remember, 30s, it was just a it was a pro, it was a very small program. Right. Uh, comparatively speaking, the percentage of people who were on it was relatively small because the program wasn't entirely national. It, it, it just didn't have the budget reach. It, so the program really is not national, nationalized until really under Nixon, who really expands. Uh, was there, well, what was the criteria? Did you have to earn under a certain amount? Well, and that's the thing about SNAP. SNAP's entirely based on household income. It's net household income. That's the only criterion is net household income deducting certain kinds of shelter, heat, other things like your car to go to work. So and, currently and it's about $2,000 a month, right? Well, no, actually it, it, it really depends on the size of the household and income. And so, mm. you know, that, that may be uh, that line, right? That's the poverty line. So it, it really depends on the household. So the family of three, that's California maybe. Uh, it depends where you're living. It depends on our household income. It depends on your expenses. So yeah, there, you know, it really varies a lot. Well, I want to remind everyone we're talking with Chris Bosso. He's the author. He's an authority on SNAP. He's the author of an important new book, Why SNAP Works, A Political History and Defense of the Food Stamp Program. My food stamp program is provided by Liberties, who are our sponsor, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. They provide the sustenance intellectually, if not physically, uh, well worth subscribing. I'm going to run a short ad, and then I want to come back and talk to Chris about the current state of SNAP and what he thinks should and shouldn't be done in terms of the program. So don't go away, anyone. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. And you can subscribe at libertiesjournal.com. We are speaking with Chris Bosso, who is the author of a very interesting new book, a UC Press book, Why SNAP Works, A Political History and Defense of the Food Stamp Program. So let's fast forward, Chris, to today, to October 2023. What percentage of Americans approximately are on food stamps? Oh, I have to go back and look. Uh, probably, well, roughly 40 to 41 million Americans are on food stamps, so or in SNAP. So as a percentage, it's... That's a you know, significant amount. It's a significant amount, right. And it's been that way. It's been pretty sticky. Um, you know, prior to the pandemic, it was about the same number. It spikes during the pandemic, and that's come back down again. Um, so it's roughly 40 to 41 million, and it's been slowly shrinking again, you know, as economic times got better. But you know, again, SNAP is based entirely on household income, and, and you could have, you know, really good employment, but if people are not making sufficient incomes, 
Um, that's the whole point. SNAP is supplemental to people's incomes. It's, a, it's to enable them to purchase more food. And, and how essential, I mean, you're a supporter, so I'm guessing mm-hmm. you're going to argue this is essential. How essential is it to, has SNAP been, in, in, particularly in terms of feeding children and older people? Oh, huge. The, the SNAP family, the average SNAP family definitely has children, elderly, disabled, or some combination. And SNAP families, high percentage of SNAP families have, have adults who work. Um, so the image of this as, you know, of the, of this program is sort of for, you know, you know, lazy adults. It's, it's sort of nonsensical. It's, it's really, without SNAP, there's a lot of hungry kids out there. You're, the subtitle of the book is Political History and Defense of right. the Food Stamp Program. Why would anyone want to defend it? It seems self-evident. What, what's well, the, if I had a Republican or a critic of SNAP, what would they say? Well, it's too big. It's too easy to get. It's, you know, on and on. It's the same, you know, there's, there's just, it depends. I mean, there's actually a fair number of Republicans who will live, who will support SNAP as long as you make it difficult to apply and, you know, only the only truly needy should get it. That's sort of the old Reagan, old truly needy, which would mean the poorest of the poor. Um, you know, as it is, we have a lot of working poor who get SNAP. So, the, you know, Republicans, conservatives, probably would support SNAP, but make it really difficult and only focused on the really the poorest of the poor. Um, and then there's some Republicans, a small group, you know, sort of some of our Freedom Caucus types who will get rid of it because they think it should be like, a, if the federal government should do nothing, or if they do anything, they should just do a, a, you know, a block grant to the states. And that's, we've seen what that, ha- we've seen what how, how that's much, done. How, how much would it cost a year altogether? Well, right now the average. Well, right now the cost is roughly before the pandemic was sixty billion dollars a year. It's probably closer to ninety now, partly because benefits the benefits structure got changed a bit under the Biden administration, um, and for com- complex reasons I'm not going to go into, and because of, of still very sticky need. Um, so again, you know, the, the budget goes up and down depending on need, and it's an entitlement program. If you're eligible to get it and you apply, you get their benefits. You mentioned that it went up in COVID. Um, Hugely, doubled. Well, and there are other benefits in COVID that covered people or? Well, there's supplemental, all kinds of supplemental benefits during COVID. We supplemented summertime uh, meals programs for kids who didn't have access to, or supplemented meals programs uh, for kids who weren't in school. So there's a lot of supplements that got shipped under the Trump administration initially that got pumped out there to, you know, people, the kids weren't at school, which meant that two, sometimes in some families, two out of three meals they were eating were at school and all of a sudden they're at home. So they boosted the benefits to families with kids to cover the, you know, to cover the money that wasn't being, you know, cover the meals that weren't being at school. There was also supplemental EBT for other, other families. And there was just a lot more, there was money pumped into the system. And it turns out, and why, as a result, Hunger and, and food insecurity rates actually declined, yeah, especially among children during the, the, the COVID. Poverty rate actually declined. Um, it turns out that you spend money on poor people, um, you know, it turns out they, they're better off. Now, you know, again, yeah, that's controversial in this country, but especially on children. Children's, the, the food insecurity rate among children went down during COVID. Which There's would, also big issues in this country, not just about nutrition, but about obesity. Does mm-hmm. does the program take that into account? I mean, I, I assume that SNAP doesn't allow people to 
to get fizzy drinks and and can. You know, this is this is a controversy. Snap, you know, because the food industry is supportive of Snap in its current state, um, and the food industry does regards no food as bad food, as far as the food industry and the USDA is concerned, and that's probably the political bargain, by the way. Uh, Snap, you're allowed to use Snap benefits to purchase whatever food you want. That's the whole point. Um, you know, you're still not allowed to use it. No, actually, any food you want, except you cannot use it to buy. Uh, under most circumstances, you cannot use Snap benefits to buy um, hot prepared foods. So if you go into your Costco, you can't use your SNAP benefits to purchase Costco's famous rotisserie chicken, which is a hot prepared food. You can go use your SNAP benefits to buy cold or, I mean, frozen uh, chicken that's already been cooked, um, but not a hot- Is that smart? I would have thought that well, that would have been a good- There's people who want to change that because they think it's, well, they think it's really nonsensical that you treat people differently when, you know, again, the average SNAP recipient, you know, user, enrollee, you know, they're, they're low income and they're often working. And so they're subject to the same pressures that anybody is subject to, low income families especially. They don't have time. So that rotisserie chicken for $4.99 is a great value um, for anybody. And, you know, and not to be able to use your SNAP benefits to purchase that seems nonsensical to a lot of people or the salad, you know, the salad bar if you're time stressed. So that's some, there's some movement in Congress to try to loosen that up a bit. And, and so some of the benefits changes that the Biden administration did was to reframe the benefit structure to reflect how people actually lived and eat. You, know, you don't have mom at home anymore cooking dinner from scratch. That was the whole point of the benefits package that was in place for a long time. Mom's probably working, coming home and preparing food. Yeah, she's working. She's two working. or three jobs and she exactly. may be the only provider. That's right. And that's the whole point is they're trying to, they were trying to rebalance the benefit structure to reflect how people actually live. Yeah. yeah. Chris, yours is a political history. What about the cultural side? Is there much shame associated with, with, with SNAP? Do people talk Not about any, it? Do they acknowledge it? Do you think? Well, there's still some of that. I mean, people are, you know, again, the, the typical American view that I shouldn't, you know, that a lot of people who are eligible don't apply because they, they feel, shameful about applying. And in some states, they really make it hard for you to apply. Some states don't. I mean, and states that don't see SNAP dollars as free, free federal money that has multiplier effects. So, but there is a shaming function in some states, especially conservative states that make it hard on, on SNAP uh, enrollees to enroll, um, you know, because you know, the, of the shame of applying for help. Um, but once you get your EBT card, and this is the difference than the old food stamps. Your EBT card looks like a debit card. And you go to your store just like anybody else and you use it, you use your debit card. And now they enable you to use your SNAP dollars to purchase food online at, well, you know, at whatever approved, uh, this was a COVID thing that happened. And they've kept it because it turns out that people who are time stressed like to buy food online just like anybody else. And, you know, and, you know, and so you have to pay, you can't use your benefits to pay for the delivery charges. That's, you know, but you can use your benefits to go on your Walmart or, or Amazon or wherever you are, the approved online retailer in your state. So that removes the shaming function also, because people don't know, people don't know you're a SNAP user when you're in stores anymore. Presumably yeah. though, you have to have all your ID stuff straight. Um, we did a show about a huge underclass of people who aren't even recognized, who don't have ID, uh, particularly well, homeless people and yeah. uh, people who have come out of jail. 
Yeah. Are those, uh, is the underclass, well, I don't know what you would call them, the, the, the underclass of Americans, and there are millions of them, uh, are they able to get SNAP? Homeless people, for example? It, well, homeless can. Yes, homeless people can get SNAP. They have to have, obviously, identification. They have to have, you know, they, they basically need, in some cases, you know, some like a shelter provider, somebody to sort of help them on this score. But the homeless, since the 1980s, uh, you know, this is Congress passed, the, uh, the homeless have been able to be eligible for SNAP. Um, and, you know, undocumented, well, not undocumented, but uh, immigrants, if you're an immigrant adult, um, you may not be eligible. But your kids born in the United States are eligible because they're American citizens. So you could have a blended family or even, even undocumented uh, immigrants. This is the important thing even undocumented immigrants whose children are born in the United States, the children are eligible, not the adults, technically. So, you know, it's complicated. And yes, there's an underclass of undocumented immigrants. Uh, I know there's people who are convicted of crimes, uh, drug crimes, for example, who may not be eligible because they still have a prohibition against felons getting SNAP. So there's that underclass of people who are not eligible. But, you know, some states really try very hard to make sure everybody who can be eligible gets their benefits so finally chris this is a program that works it, it clearly reflects the strength of the new deal mm -hmm. but does it point to a more functional state in the 21st century does it suggest that america continues can continue theoretically to build a, a more just a fairer society through the state yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm optimistic in the sense that I think we actually have a bigger social welfare safety net than people realize. It's just all done indirectly. Um, you know, the biggest anti-poverty program we have is the earned income tax credit. You have to be working. SNAP is the second largest. And then you've got vouchers for housing. You've got vouchers for heating. You've got all kinds of indirect forms of support. Now, they're complicated. They're indirect. And, you know, it's hard for people to, you know, you know, it's it, the easiest thing to do would give is would be give people straight cash. But we don't like that because that's welfare and our cultural orientation that you should be on your own feet makes welfare problematic. That's why I support SNAP at the end, because it's flawed and cash would be easier, but that's not going to happen. Um, so this is the second best thing. So I always joke on the show, everyone always comes on the show and says, why can't we be more like Denmark? Maybe America is more like Denmark than we think. Well, I think we have a bigger social welfare safety net than we give ourselves credit for. It's just, we make it harder on people. That's America. Um, we want you to earn it, um, but it's there more than we realize. Now, does, is, is, you know, is, a perfect, is SNAP perfect? No, there's a lot of, there's flaws, but considering the alternatives, the box of food, you know, I think SNAP works.